Abba Yahweh. Again, the opportunity to share in your truth, your knowledge and wisdom. That is for your purpose, Father, not any way, shape or form for myself. To share your truth, to give others an opportunity for repentance, redemption, and be heirs and joint heirs of the kingdom, Father, to be with their loved ones, to be with us, to be with you, Father God. This is the goal, not for listeners, not for numbers, none of that, Father. None of that matters. What matters is that it is your word, your truth, your knowledge, and your promises, Father, that I share. That's just it, period. So that might sound kind of odd to some folks, but I've been been studying and doing some really good reading and this this um, reading for my class actually. But here's an important thing that is that that came up. Um, several things actually that I'm going to share that's really important and the Spirit just brought me over to something that I had marked and highlighted and I think is very applicable that didn't even think about it until I happened to glance over there. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. What's Paul talking about? Paul is talking about something that we always need to be doing, always need to be doing. And none of this stuff that, that people get caught up in these things and, and uh, this teacher, I, I find his writings and his, what he is very, use a lot of scripture. I like him. The Holy Spirit's guiding me through this and, and having me, make indications because what he's saying is very powerful. Now, I'm certain there are going to be those that are going to read through here and just kind of read it as a book. And that's fine. It is a book. However, what he's saying is meant to be used and useful. And there are going to be those, and I've shared this with you before, that there are those that claim to be Christian and those that are not within the body of the church. They are called label heads, self-proclaimed. They like taking these little pieces of tape and putting them, put the word Christian on it and then they tape it to their forehead. Why do they do that? Because they don't look like a Christian. What's a Christian supposed to look like? A Christian is supposed to be looking like they're enjoying fellowship with God, fellowship with Jesus Christ, fellowship with the Holy Spirit that is within them. And they're supposed to be showing that outwardly. We are told in numerous places in this instruction manual, which it is, that that's one of our instructions that we're supposed to be walking through life and showing that the Lord is in our heart. And how do we do that? We reflect that outwardly. That light that is in within us, we have to reflect it so that it shows outwardly. And if you're not doing that, then you have to put a label on your forehead so people even know what you are. So you have the label heads. Then you have the self-proclaimed Christian. Don't act like it. Don't show it out. But they tell people, yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to such and such a church. Well, how come I've never seen you at any of the programs? How come I've never seen you in any of their outreach? How come I've never seen you at any of the get-togethers? How come I've never seen you invite anybody to any of the church barbecues? How come, how come, how come, how come? Because you're self-proclaimed, you're not real. So brothers and sisters, this is very important. Our high priest, which other places in the scripture tell us that Jesus Christ is our high priest and he is in constant intercessory prayer for us. Reach out and grab on. Reach out and grab on. So this is, this is a very good read. Very profound. And I, 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 I pray that, 
I want to make sure that I'm not falling into this. I, I don't want to be in there. This is this is God's business. This is God's work, and this is this is for this is one of the reasons I took my name off the off of this the uh, podcasting. I don't get sponsorship or any of this stuff because it's not for me. This is about God reaching out for God so that others have an opportunity. That's it. This isn't for me. So here's one of the things. And we have to remember, this is also very important because this is, um, this is something that I've, I've shared with you before and you have to pay attention to this. Um, there's a warfare that's going on, whether people like to use that term or, you know, they try to soft soap the gospel, they try to honey coat it, they try to sugar coat it, they get very apologetic by using terms like warfare or army or armor of God. They don't even like to talk about the armor of God. It's That's actually written in a number of places. I think there's, did I find it in Deuteronomy? I got a flashback and remember. But the first place that it was mentioned is way back in the in the fifth book of the Old Testament. It talks about the armor of God. And we have a number of places that are talked about that. And then in Ephesians 4, goodness gracious, you have those individuals that are going to gripe and complain about the term armor and warfare and such nonsense. And so then they want to get apologetic because they don't want to offend anyone. Remember what the Bible tells us? What did Jesus tell us? They will be offended for my name's sake and that there are going to be a number. They're going to try to turn us over to judges and to the jails and prisons for his name's sake. And it must be for his name's sake. It can't be for ours. Are we doing it for us or for him? Pretty simple question. So the thing that we have to remember is that we are actually in a warfare. But that warfare doesn't mean that we jump up and we get all uh, confrontational about being in somebody's face because of things that are going on because they are They are temporal. Those are carnal things. And that we have to remember that we are actually in a warfare, but not against those temporal things, but there are those spirits and those that are working for the devil that look to take us and keep us apart from God. And we are warned by these individuals and we are warned about them. We have to stay in the truth. We have to always be in the truth and that truth comes from God. And there is a warfare going on over our intimacy with God. Satan wants to keep us apart from him, keep us separated from him. And there is a spiritual warfare that goes on for our minds, our minds and our soul. And it comes after us in the form of white noise and the devil gets us all caught up in agitation. So in Ephesians 4, we're told to remember to be always be truthful. And that we walk and be worthy of the vocation that we're called. What is, what's that vocation? What is, that's what we do. God called us. God called us to count on us, not just to be counted. Not just a number, but to be counted on. Can you be counted on to share the gospel, to share the word of God, to share the truth in his truth, his knowledge and wisdom? Can you be counted on for that? 
I've read this and found it to be so that, and sadly actually, that God has more faith in us than we do in God at many times. People, well, I can't, how am I supposed to be, have faith in something I can't see? Oh my goodness, here we go. Now it's time for Raven and his analogy again. How about when you go to the garage with your automobile? Do you sit there and watch the mechanic do all the work and the labor for you? Do you see it done? Do you see the people working on your car? Or when you ask them, they tell you, oh, you can come back in, in, uh, come back in three days. We'll have it ready in three days. So you get a bus ride home or you take an Uber or a Lyft and you get to the house or you take a cab or somebody comes and gets you. Then your car is in the shop for three days and you don't watch them working on it. You don't see it being done, but you have faith that it's being done. Why? Well, because I heard about this shop and... It's supposed to be really good. Do you know them? Or you just know about them? Same thing with God. Pose the same question. Do you know God or you just know about God? And many places when they go through, individuals go through the Bible, they know about God. They read about God. But do you have a personal relationship with God? Are you practicing God's presence? Are you practicing and enjoying his hearness? I've shared this with you before. And... Practicing his presence is really, really powerful. And then when he displays his hearness, oh my gosh. So you have to understand, understand this too. And I, I like this reading. This is really good. There is a warfare over our intimacy with God. <laughs> Satan does not want us to have a personal or intimate relationship with God, but God desires that greatly. We are his children. You hear what I'm telling you? God is our heavenly father. What did Jesus, when he taught the disciples, when the disciples said, Rabbi, teach us how to pray. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is he telling us? He's telling us that we pray to our Heavenly Father, our Holy Heavenly Father, Abba Yahweh. That's why I call him that. Abba, Father, Yahweh, maker of all things made. That's the first permissive name that God told us that we could use to call him. First, he told Moses, you tell them I am sent you. If they want to know, tell them I am. And then he permitted us as his children to call him Yahweh, maker of all things made. And then those that decided that they were more holy than anybody else because they were priests and took care of the temple, that they were going to say that you can't use the whole word. You can only say Yah or Hweh. You can't put it all together because it's too holy. And only the high priest can do that. And he can only do that inside the Holy of Holies. But you can't use the name that God told you that you could use. Can't do that. Only we can do that. This is the problem that uh, wasn't so much a problem, but this is the confrontation that the Pharisees kept bringing up and they stirred up because Jesus tried to tell people that that was not necessary, but they were upset because Jesus was basically telling people they didn't have to deal with them anymore. But they were getting paid for things. They were getting their little minstrels and instrument players to go to funerals. They were getting paid for it. They were getting paid to come and pray over somebody that had a demonic spirit. Uh, they would come and cleanse the house and do all these other things and get paid for it. And this is one of the first things that agitated them. Wait a minute, who is this guy? And he's not getting paid for it? He doesn't seek credit for this? What? Oh boy, this is going to make it hard for us to get anywhere now. Which is the same thing when Paul... When they were, uh, oh, I apologize because the name of the city just went right out of my head right now. Just as I was about to say, 
Paul and his apostle, they went to the city and they were praying there and they found that there was um, one of the city elders or leaders and he had this person who was claiming to be a prophet of God and they were getting paid. They were making money on people coming to them, but they weren't really of God. And they were, they were being led by demonic spirits. Paul came and prayed over them, cast the demons out. And then that little sorcerer, or whatever you want to call them, I'm going to have to look that up and find out exactly where that is, share it with you. I'm sorry, I apologize for that. But they got mad at Paul. They were actually looking, to, they were going to kill Paul. And so he was snuck out of the city. If you remember, they were, they got snuck out so that they wouldn't be killed. But they were mad because in that cleansing, they were now not able to make any money by using the name of the Lord in vain and declaring his name in vain and getting paid for it. Well, this is the same problem that the Pharisees had with Jesus and why they got agitated because they weren't doing it for him. They were doing it for themselves. And this is where this, um, I went through here and I highlighted a bunch of this. And I want to make sure that this is, this is exactly not what I'm doing because I want this, this has got to be about the Lord, period. And so what's being shared here is that one of the many ways that we have to understand is that the enemy, the devil and his demons, they try to uh, kill or destroy our intimacy with God by keeping us busy in doing things that we justify as being for God. We get too caught up in doing things around the church. We get too caught up in doing things for the church and this and this and this and this. Remember what I told you about the day planner and individuals justify what they're doing because it's, uh, oh, I don't have time to go to this. I don't have time to go to that. I don't have time for this. I don't have time for that. I've got to get this done for the pastor. I got to get this done for Elder Bob. I got to get this done for Elder Jan or whatever, whatever. But they've always got something caught up that they're doing in their day planner that's caught up and their justification is that it's for the church. It's for God's work. Really? Is it? Question that in your own mind. Just make sure it is. But then you flip the coin over to the other side and see what's going on. Is it for that that you're a lot of times we're driven, driven or the motivation is that we, others see what we're doing. So are we indeed doing it for God and seeking his validation, which is the only one that matters at all? And I've shared this with you countless times and I'll keep sharing it with you. God's validation for me is the only validation that matters. What anybody else says, I don't care. My credentials come from HSU, Heaven Sent University. My chancellor is my Abba Yahweh, Father God. Vice chancellor is his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. My guidance counselor is Paracletos, the Holy Spirit. The only validation, I mean, if it doesn't fit your criteria or what you think, I don't care because your validation is not what matters. You have to understand, brothers and sisters, what man or mammon say does not matter. The only thing that matters is God. So this is what we need to be. Are you seeking approval from God or trying to impress others by having them see you doing all this stuff? And, oh, my goodness, they're so busy. They're so busy. They're so busy. Look at them. They're so busy around here. Oh, everything just runs so well because of them. Well, guess what? You're not the only one working in the church. There are other people that do that. Are you doing all the janitorial? Are you doing all the barista stuff? Are you doing all the electronics, the maintenance? Are you doing all the tech stuff? So it's not you doing all these things. You might be doing a lot of stuff. But are you doing it to get everybody else to pat you on the back and say, oh, at a boy, at a girl, wow, 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 you're really doing a lot for God. Are you doing it for God or are you doing it to get the recognition from everybody else that's in the body of the church? 
Do you need that recognition? Because you have that need for to be recognized or are we trying to feel good about yourself or feel validated? So God's validation is a purity of love his love in us, for us, to us, poured out on us. That's the validation that matters. And further, God isn't focused on what we do. He wants to know what motivates us. Is it our heart? Is it our love for him and for Jesus? Not so much for what we do. I do this because I love God. I do this because God loves me. I do this because it is his business and that I need to be sharing the word of God. Not for me. I don't need any recognition. If, you, if I get nobody listening to me from now till whenever, that's okay, but I'm still doing my father's business. I'm still putting the word out and sharing that anyone that hears might get into the word and start looking for themselves and seeking his face. Repent, be redeemed. Remember, I'm gonna share it with you again. Jesus, Emmanuel, Christ. Jesus, Savior, Redeemer, Emmanuel, Christ in us, Christ with, or God in us, God with us, Christ, anointed of God. So it's not just the first, middle, and last name. And then, of course, we can say Bar Joseph because his earthly father was Joseph. Jesus, Emmanuel, Christ, Bar Joseph, but his heavenly father, is the business that he was about, is about, still. He is our high priest, intercessory prayer continuously. And what I really, really, really pray, and this is, this is the important part of being making sure that you're not doing it for validation of man or mammon and that you're doing it for your love for God and love for Jesus. Not to be validated by man or mammon, but in <clears throat> Matthew 7, 22, 23, when uh, Jesus, <coughs> excuse me, Jesus shares it, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, cast out demons. And in your name, perform many miracles. We did it in your name, in your name, in your name, in your name. Look at all that we did. Look at everything we did. But it wasn't for anything other than being recognized by others. It wasn't for God. They were doing it for validation of men or mammon. And what does Jesus say? And Jesus said, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice iniquity or lawlessness. Wow. That's a heavy duty thought to have. My thought is that I do not, when I get home, I want him to say, oh, welcome home, my good and faithful son. It's good to see you. It's going to be good to see him. And that's, that is total validation. In a nutshell, I don't need anybody to validate what I'm doing here and say, oh, wow, and, and clip you. I don't even, look, let me share something with you. And I'm going to not for, uh, again, I, I, I hesitate almost for, because I'm not looking for any validation for this, but there's little 
things that I can do counts and I can check on things and so forth and so on. What I do is I hit the speaker, I hit the uh, publish, and then I type in a couple little things and I put in some scriptures and then I share it to the media page and let it go. I don't care what my numbers are. I don't care. I get no sponsorship for doing this. My sponsorship is from God and that's what matters. I'm doing it because it's his business and that's what matters. I'm not doing it for numbers. I'm not doing it for sponsorship. I don't do, you know, if I put sponsors, I'd have to have commercials in here and they'd have to break in and, and say such and such and so forth and so on. And I don't want to do that. And I don't want to do that because this is his business and this is not about me. Well, my name's not even on here anymore. I took that off there because that was too much about me. So are we overlooking the giver of all these things that, that we wouldn't have if it wasn't for him anyway? Because of our... Um, and I like the way this was put. And this, is, this goes with all those that fill up their day planner with all these activities that they've got to get done for the church. Is this preoccupation that they have in building um, a spiritual resume? I like that term. I like, I like the way he, he put that, so I'm borrowing it. <clears throat> so that's what he wrote. So are you busy trying to build a spiritual resume so that you can share with other people while you're sitting around having a, a lunch after church or coffee and say, oh yeah, I was doing this and I was doing that and this and that and this and that. And then maybe if you move to another church, another part of the country, you go to another church and you submit that resume instead of praying for the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And you submit that saying, oh, look what I did over here. Look what I did over there. And this church did that and this church did that because of me, because of what I was doing spiritually for, for God. I was doing that for God's house. Were you? Were you doing it for God's house or were you doing it for self-recognition? It's pretty powerful and you've got to you've got to be concerned with that. You you have to make sure that it's doing that. And I like this too. And he admitted to this. So this is why I have to pray about this and make sure that I'm not doing this. <clears throat> is it, pardon me, is it this gentleman is sharing that um, he began to realize and understand that he was not really excited about and motivated by Jesus or that intimate relationship with him and he was motivated not by Jesus but by what he was going to get done for him <laughs> yeah I kind of chuckle because that's what we all tend to do I want to make sure that that's not what I'm doing and I wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't for him anyway see this is one of the things that we tend to forget a lot of when you get up in the morning, that first breath you draw, that first breath you draw is by the grace of God. Tomorrow is not promise and your life is but a vapor and a mist. It could be gone with the blowing of the wind. Where's the wind come from? God. So what is your motivation? Are you motivated by God and Jesus Christ, who came down here. Anyway, did, let, let me remind you of this. Let's get a picture of this. Here is the only begotten Son of God, who was with God from the beginning. The word, and, and John shares this with us. Maybe I should go back and, and read John 1, 1 for you all. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him, nothing made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light, 
that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That light was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believed on his name. That's pretty powerful right there. So here comes this king, our king, the only begotten son of God who came and stepped off of a throne that was in the kingdom of heaven and left behind heavenly attributes, things that he could have had with him and done all. And, and here's the other thing too. Remember this, that he could have called. And I love that old song. It makes me cry when I think about it. And I'm getting ready to well up right now. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. Yet he did not. And he was placed on Calvary's tree, nailed to that cross for your sake and my sake and for anyone who believes and wants to have an opportunity to repent and be forgiven to be received into the family of God and be an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ in the kingdom of heaven. That's why Jesus came, John three sixteen. He didn't come from any for any special race, color, ethnicity. He didn't come for any of that. He came for whomsoever will. So are we doing what we do for him? Or are we doing what we do for our sake? To build up our spiritual resume. And I'm actually having, I got to pray about this because, you know, I'm going through this study course in this class. Why? I mean, it's a good thing. I want to be drawn into the deeper water. I prayed about it and I really, but I got to pray about it again and make sure that I am here doing this for the very reason that I asked God to begin with. <clears throat> I believe his response was affirmative because I mean, he made it happen, made it possible for it to happen. But I just said, uh, we have to remember too that this is part of that spiritual warfare that goes on. And we have to remember that this happens all the time and that the devil uses opportunities like this to get us agitated and to get us all worked up. And as I shared with you that Ephesians 4 tells us to focus on certain things, <coughs> pardon me, and that we need to focus on truth. But in Ephesians 6, we are reminded too I'm going to read this uh, for you because this is very important. And, and there, as I said, there are individuals that, uh, that they get all apologetic and they don't want to use this scripture because they think it's too army-like or too, too warfare. Well, you know, too bad, so sad. It's the truth that comes from the scriptures and it's the word of God, which is, um, as it's called, the infallible truths. There is no way that it can be bent or manipulated or should not be, but man will always try. But here's the important thing. In Ephesians 6, starting at verse 12 or verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So what the scripture is telling us, what God's telling us in his guidebook, 
in his instruction manual, in our roadmap, what he's telling us is that we need to put this on. If this is not an instruction, I don't know what is. So again, I'm going to say for those of you out there that declare that this is not an instruction manual or a guidebook and that it's, I don't know what they're, what the individuals are saying, but I've got problems with that because this is an instruction. It says right there, put on the whole armor of God. That's an instruction. Put it on. And you got to put it on and also reminding this guy that we're not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against powers, against the rulers, the darkness of this world, and against spiritual weakness in high places. There are those that are working as minions of the devil that are on this plane of existence and move around with us, and there are those that are not. I've shared with you before that God doesn't allow us to see those things because he's protecting us. They're scary. It's very scary if you saw what was going on on that spiritual plane that is going on around us all the time, that our heavenly hosts, our heavenly angels are protecting us from those things that come against us on that spiritual plane of existence. It's very frightening. It's more frightening than anything you can imagine that comes out of Hollywood, Hippocratwood. It's terrifying. And when... God gave me that opportunity. I was I was both relieved and scared because I knew that was what was coming out of that darkness that I couldn't see into the depth of that darkness. It was so dark. But I knew that something was there. But I also knew that God was protecting me. Further reading, verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. Again, an instruction. That ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Why are you putting it on? This is why you're putting it on. He gives you an instruction and then tells you what it's about. That sounds like an instruction manual to me. Everyone that I ever read in the military was very much that way. Few were not. Told you why it was had to be done that way, and then it would give you the steps to do it. <clears throat> Stand therefore, having your loins skirt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. I don't know about some of these yahoos that, that are these, uh, I, I share with you that they're theological wizards that they declare that they know so much more than everybody else and how they can declare that the Bible is not an very informative and instruction manual like to me. I mean, it tells you to do it, and it tells you why you're doing it. So that sounds like instruction to me. But anyway, they can they can do that if they choose to believe that way. I'll just keep praying for them. <clears throat> so, are we doing these things that that we're told to do? Are we doing it? And and this is that our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel. That we go out and we share the truth, the gospel, the good news. That's what the word gospel means. It comes from the Latin phrase. Gospel, good news. That's all the word means, good news. But we have to remember something, that the Bible, the entire Bible, and theological or theologians that thought that they knew so much more, they separated the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. Yeah, you have that. You have the history of the Bible that goes back, and a lot of people, when they read about it, they, they hear about God, they read about God, and they know about God. And then the gospel, the, the gospel, the New Testament comes along, and then Jesus comes, and you start 
learning more personal things. But it's all gospel, it's all good news. So are we motivated by what we're gonna get accomplished and having those around us to come up and pat us on the back of our armor and say, hey, all right, look what you did, look what you did, look what you did. And, you know, I actually, I used to get that. People would come up and they always want to say something because I was providing some things for the kids and, and others. And I told them, I said, you know what? I'm just, I'm just the delivery guy. God allows me to deliver this and do this, but this is a gift from God. So if you want to thank anybody, thank God. And it's a gentle rebuke, but I do, I rebuke them. Because it's not from me. I, I couldn't provide it. I couldn't do it without God. And I remind, gently remind him of that. I said, thank God, because he's just letting me bring it and share it with you. He's letting me be blessed by blessing you. So thank God. We have to remember, too, not to let us fall into that thing that, that happened. Remember when they were at the Last Supper? <coughs> Pardon me, I am so sorry. Pardon me, pardon me, pardon me. When they were all sitting around the table and Jesus was revealing some things about Judas and some other things that were going on, didn't come right out and tell him who he was that was doing it. But he let Judas know that he was on to him and knew. I think I, I have this inkling that Judas probably knew anyway. Jesus has this way of putting this tingly into you. Have you ever gotten that? He puts this tingly. Sometimes when I share that when God is really overwhelmingly sharing his hearness with me, and then he just puts his arm around me and I just, I start leaking. I can't help but to. But Jesus does this. He's around and about ready to say or do something really. And you get this, um, that's a way to describe. Oh, you get the butterflies. You ever experience that when you're getting ready to go on a really great roller coaster ride, or you're really, or Jesus is getting ready to take you on this really great ride, and you get the butterflies, you get that sensation, all that stuff. So I think that Judas might have had that little inkling sensation going on, and then Jesus just told him, he goes, "What you do." What you are to do, do so quickly. And Judas just sort of kind of left in a rush. He had some things he had to go take. I got some things I got to go take care of. I got to go water the plants. And, and then he left. But you remember that was what was taking place at the table, that the disciples were all concerned. They were concerned by what they were doing. And they were comparing themselves one to another. Well, which one of us is the better? Which one of us is the greater? You know, he already gave John and James, he gave them nicknames. He called them the sons of thunder. Didn't mean that they were better at anything. They were, they had short fuses. And they wanted to fight with the Samaritans. And Jesus had to pull the reins in on that. And then you got Peter. He wanted to lash out with a sword all the time. And he mean, he cut that guy's ear off. Jesus had to heal that. And then, of course, making the declaration that he made and, and Jesus just told him, he said, you're going to deny it three times before the cock even crows. So are we like that? We compare ourselves to others within the body and in reality are oblivious to Jesus and that we weren't going to be able to do it without him and God anyway? And I like the description that he gives. It puts us on a roller coaster ride because we feel good about all that really neat rah-rah stuff we do. And then we start making comparisons of ourselves to others. And then we start to feel inadequate and we get fearful of man and mammon. And we take that road, that really fast ride down the hill.
And then Jesus just reminds us, he pulls the brake on it. He says, you need to get off. And I like here that he doesn't pull back this. We, he says, I was trying to be a soldier more for my own sake than his sake. We are in the army, whether you like it or not, and you want to apologize for using that term and you want to apologize for the armor of God, you do so. It's in the Bible. It tells us that we are. And remember this. Keep in mind that the word army does not mean anything militaristic. It just means a really large amount of people. That's all it means. Just a really big, large group of people. And we have come to make it something that it's really not even about. It's not anything militaristic. So get over that. And quit apologizing for that because it's used in the Bible. The Valley of Dry Bones is not talking about an army that was going to get up and grab shields and swords and all that and go out and, and fight. The Valley of Dry Bones was the nation of Israel. Their bones had become dry. They had given up. What does it say? If you read in Ezekiel 37 and just about the last verse, they had given up hope for themselves. They had done so themselves. So they had become dry. They had become dry and wasted. It wasn't anything except what they had done. So when Ezekiel was taken by the Spirit to prophesy, remember prophet? Remember what a prophet is? A prophet is one who listens in, inclines himself or herself to listen to what God is saying to testify to that effect. And God said, and the hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit. He was taken to the valley of dry bones, meaning that he was given a vision by the spirit of God, given that dry bones. And God told him to prophesy. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And God's breath came into them. And then the Lord told him again, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. Shared this with you before. This is just like when the spies went into the land of Canaan. Oh, we saw ourselves as grasshoppers. There's nothing that God can do for us. We are so small because we are like grasshoppers and they are going to smash us that way. And then they came back and they got the whole nation of, of Israel and got everybody to listen to their negative report. So those families that were directly tied to those individuals that said, nay, 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 the power of God is not capable that were destroyed, and then all those that decided that they were going to believe the negative report instead of what Joshua and Moses tried to tell them that God had promised this to them. So that's why they wandered around for 40 years. But remember this. God still was with them. Their clothes did not tatter, did not need to be mended, their sandals did not need to be replaced, repaired, and he provided food for them. Pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night, and still provided them water. Took care of them. But they wandered for 40 years because they decided that God was not big enough. God could not possibly be big enough to beat up the giants and the land of Hebron. Couldn't be done. And here's something that I want to, that I always wanted to make sure that I, I shared, and it is important that we have to think, is that um, we have to remember something. I love, I love, I love this this sharing, is that we have to remember that the gift of God's love. What kind of price can you put on that? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believe in him shall not, shall not die. So this gift that he gives us, <clears throat> this eternal life 
and priceless gift of his love. How much more do you need? What else do you need? But we always have to, we get caught up in this thing that we, we don't have anything to give until we get something for God. God's going to give us this and then I'm going to be able to give. Um, does that not then make it more about you than about him? And that you only get something from him so that you can give it to somebody else? Okay, so is that not using God for your own means and ends? Remember this too. This is very important. Man, I, this, this guy wrote that I'm just got off. And this, I've almost gotten many highlights in this, <laughs> in this author's book as I do in my Bible. Goodness gracious. So, um, this is really good. It's called Wholehearted, and I'm going to share with you the author in this because I love this guy. This is uh, his name, he and his wife actually, Rick and Diane Boucher, B-E-W-S-H-E-R. Wholehearted, tending your heart through being discipled by Jesus. Okay, let's look at something here, and then I'm going to let you all go. I've got more to share in this thing and I only get a limited amount of time in this tuba flatchy. So being a disciple is, uh, what other word do we know that comes from that? Discipline. So brothers and sisters, you are in my prayers. Am I going out and my coming in? So be disciplined enough to know that God provides and God counts on us, not just counts us. It's not about numbers and tallies with God. He loves us. And we are his children. And we are his kids. And as his children, he loves us dearly. So brothers and sisters, just keep that in mind. Come to God, not for what you can give. And what was the thing? I think I shared this with you before. I can't remember. I wanted to. Maybe I was getting ready to, and I didn't. So, um, but it's very applicable. John F. Kennedy actually said this um, many years ago when I was a young man. I remember hearing um, before he was assassinated. I was young and remember when that happened and actually school closed and and I wept almost a whole day. That was a hard thing because I really liked the guy. He was a very good president. He was a powerful man, good man and and uh he always used to have preachers coming in before the doing anything at all on live coverage, he always had prayer. Billy Graham would come and pray, always, a lot. Whenever anything was getting ready to be televised, the first thing that they would do is they would have prayer. And probably, goodness gracious, I would venture to say at least 90% of the time it was Billy Graham. So anyway, but John F. Kennedy said, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. So let me pose this to you. Ask not what your God can do for you, but ask what you can do for your God. And don't do it just for your simple recognition. Do it because you love God. Brothers and sisters, you're in my prayers going out and coming in. Be blessed.